Подача Остин! Все-таки Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. My name is Matt Markstone. I'm the host of the show. And no matter where you are, no matter how you may be listening, whether you've been here before or this is your first time, thank you for making the show part of your day. I hope that you are well. On episode 49, I'm joined by Phil Drake, the author of a new book about the Southampton Football Club titled To Be a Saint. The book goes into Phil's life as a Southampton fan, what it's been like to watch the club. And uh, he kind of recounts important matches, players, managers, referees, uh, all kind of seen through his eyes, but you don't get the feeling like he's just telling you his story, even though some of that stuff is weaved in. Uh, you really get the sense of, of what's going on with the team and with the club uh, throughout that time period. And I found it to be um, fascinating. And uh, I really, really think you will enjoy the book. I think you'll enjoy hearing Phil kind of talk about that. And we talk about writing, we talk about um, his passion for that and, and think other things as well. So uh, we'll get to all that in just a bit, like I said. Um, but do stick around after the interview. You will have a chance to win a copy of the book and Phil and I will explain uh, how that happens towards the end of our, of our discussion. So stick around for that. Before we get to my conversation with Phil, we played Arsenal on Sunday. It was a noontime local kickoff. And from what I hear, uh, people aren't necessarily all that happy with that time, that kickoff time. It's early. It's difficult to go out and get your pre-match drinks and things like that. I am not going to, I'm going to reserve judgment there uh, simply because I've never had to make that trip. I don't know what that's like. So I will let people who uh, have to deal with that, whether it's getting to the stadium, getting home from the stadium, uh, trying to get themselves up after a Saturday night to get there on time. I'll, I'll let them deal with that. I will say it's a 4 a.m. kickoff. I can watch a 4 a.m. kickoff in my own house, but uh, I have a friend and we watch every Arsenal Southampton match together. And so I had to drive and I was on the road quite early. It was rough. Uh, it, it was a whole thing, but that that's okay. I was more than happy to, to be there and uh, to be able to celebrate in his house as Charlie Austin scored that goal uh, early on in the match to, to put us up one nil. And then from then on, I thought, you know, we were going to make it two nil for sure. Uh, seeing as how many cr- chances we created, uh, but we never could get there. And then we all know what happens uh, towards the end of the match. Of course, uh, Arsenal do find a way back in it, but in a way, none of that was surprising. Uh, if you watched Arsenal at all, uh, Giroud has come off the bench several times this year and scored late goals, whether they be winners or uh, to salvage a point, whatever they've been, he's done it. It wasn't really that surprising. Uh, other things that aren't surprising, Alexis Sanchez going quiet, going dormant for 85 minutes, and then creating a chance that that leads to the goal that either ties it or wins it for him. Uh, these things don't really surprise me. Their shakiness in defense, not surprising. They've been that way for a while. Uh, their kind of lack of cohesiveness, uh, not surprising. And, and so really, I thought a lot of the things about the game were predictable. But then again, I really didn't expect us to be in it that much. I think before the match, similar to uh, some of our previous matches, had you asked me if I would have taken a draw going into the match, I would have said absolutely for sure. Uh, but if you would have asked me at halftime, you know, would you take a draw? I, I probably would have said no. I probably would have said we deserve to win this game. And I still do. I still think that that draw was maybe slightly unfair to us. 
but maybe that's not quite fair to Arsenal. Maybe you, know, you look at the possession, you look at the shots, you look at a bunch of those things. Um, some of those stats didn't go our way. And maybe because we set up so defensively, we, we invited them and gave them the chance to, uh, to hurt us. And eventually they did. But really, I think we were the better team that day. A point from Arsenal is never a bad thing, but to give it away the way that we did uh, in the last second, um, when we had played so well with kind of passion, like I always, I like to see with some kind of purpose uh, and also with um, some intelligence and, and the ability to switch formations and kind of move personnel around, depending on whether or not we had the ball, I thought was fantastic. And just to see it all kind of slip away, just so, uh, so close to the end, similar to, to Manchester City. Uh, it really, really did hurt. So, uh, but anyway, we will, uh, discuss that maybe a little bit later. Um, we'll, we'll see how that goes, but, uh, for now, let's go ahead and head into my conversation with Phil Drake, author of to be a saint. You can get in touch with him on Twitter at P Drake official and the link to his Twitter, Facebook, and website are all in the show notes, along with a link to amazon.com where you can buy his book. Uh, I don't get any money for that. Uh, from Amazon or from Phil, just so we're clear. But um, do stick around towards the end of our conversation uh, so you can learn how you can win yourself a copy of the book. This would be an ideal Christmas gift uh, for the Saints fan, whether it's for you or your dad or uh, your mom or maybe your girlfriend or boyfriend's dad if you want them to like you. Uh, I don't know. Um, anyway, here's my conversation with Phil Drake. I hope you enjoy it. We'd like to welcome to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all the SFC fans, Phil Drake, the author of To Be a Saint and many other books. And Phil is joining me today to talk about his new book and also to talk about the club and the history behind it. And Phil, thank you so much for joining me uh, and welcome to the show. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. And and people can find you on Twitter at pdrakeofficial. Uh, and the link to that, of course, is in the show notes, along with your website and Facebook page and uh, the link to the book. Um, but we're here. Uh, I saw the book come out or I saw it when it was coming out or going to come out. And we kind of talked and said, you know, once it's out, then we would kind of talk and, and see if we could make a time work. And, and here we are. So so thanks. We start every episode with this. And obviously, uh, we know you're a Saints fan since you've written uh, this book, To Be a Saint. Um, and I know it's covered in the book a little bit, but can you kind of explain uh, just how you became a Saints fan? Um, well, my uncle and my grandfather on my dad's side of the family are big Saints fans. And growing up, being an only child, it was like, oh, you know, let's get him into football. And obviously it was just a, a natural progression to follow Saints. There was a brief flirtation with Arsenal around about 1980 when I was seven years old. Um, as it was the first FA Cup final, I remember watching all the way through the 1981 when they lost to West Ham. Um, but not long after that, of course, Saints signed Kevin Keegan, who was my favourite player. So that was the decision was nailed on from then on. It was definitely going to be Saints all the way. You know, since then, you've been a Saints fan. Uh, obviously, you've written the book. Yeah. But um, are you a current season ticket holder? And uh, what about the rest of your family? Anybody else uh, a fan of, of the club? Uh, I'm not a season ticket holder at the moment. Uh, I have been in the past, um, but with family, it's difficult to get through all the games. So it's not sort of practical financially. Um, my daughter's just started going. She's 17, so she's getting into going. I'm mm-hmm. hoping to go to the away cup game at Fulham in January. Okay. All right. Do you do you live closer to London then, or do you live down in Southampton? No, no, we're in Southampton. Um, but I do like, London away games, it's a good day out. 
to, to kind of look at the book, um, you've authored numerous books, but this is the first one that's, that's about football. And obviously it's about, it's about mm-hmm. saints, but, uh, what are some of the other types of books or, or things that you've written in the past? Um, I mostly go for, um, paranormal horror and psychological horror. Um, I've also written a non-fiction book on the haunted places of Hampshire and the Isle of Wight. Um, it's always been something I've been interested in. Uh, I'm not really sure what I believe ghosts to be, whether they're the spirits of the dead or some sort of replay of past events. Um, but I've always found it a fascinating subject and I've just decided to put together an A to Z of the haunted places in the local area. All right. Um, and, and were you, uh, you know, did you major in, in writing or creative writing or anything like that? Uh, when you were in university or, or, um, no, when I was, I was in at school, I always kind of enjoyed writing. I think English was probably my favorite subject. I loved reading, I loved writing. I used to write my own, what I suppose you'd call fan fiction now, back, back in the day of like, you know, my favorite TV show finished, I'd write my own episodes. Um, but then I, I sort of drifted out of it for a bit and then a few years ago, I had an article about saints printed in a in a magazine, and it sort of kicked it off again. So you kind of mentioned that your preferred genre to write is kind of um, psychological horror, or, or uh, in yeah. that in that genre. But is is that also your favorite to read, or do you like to read uh, different types of, of things? Um, yeah, I've read quite a lot. I'm a big Stephen King fan, and uh, an author, British author, who's no longer with us, unfortunately, called James Herbert. Um, they're two of my favorite authors. Um, but also, like, I mean, I've read a lot of football books and fiction and ghost books and um, general sports books and also travel writing I enjoy reading. Obviously, writing takes up a huge uh, part of your time, but you mentioned to me before we were recording that you weren't necessarily a full-time author, that you still had a job outside yeah. of this. So what is that job and then what hobbies do you have outside of that? Uh, yeah, I'm a cartographer at Ordnance Survey at the moment and... Hobbies, uh, probably just watching films, um, TV shows, and just spending time with my children, um, going out for days out in the summer. Um, but other than that, I don't really have what you call any other hobbies. Football takes up too much time. <laughs> and the writing, of course. Absolutely. The, this podcast has done, uh, wonders for my free time and, and basically eating it all up. Um, but, and sometimes, you know, if we play on a, on a Saturday, then I start, I, I can't stop thinking about the questions and all that stuff. And so sometimes yeah. that's nice when we play on Sunday, cause it gives me one more, like a full weekend day to just not worry about yeah. it. But, um, I, I understand, but obviously writing takes, uh, takes a ton of time and, and a lot of passion. And so it's, it's, uh, I, you know, I appreciate that you are, are taking the time to do that and, and then share it with us. I, I do appreciate mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess when you are in the midst of, of writing something, whether it be this book or an article or uh, one of your other previous books or future books, um, what is the typical day? Like, where do you squeeze that in? How does that, how does that happen when you have time with your kids and, and work and all that other stuff? Usually Sunday morning, once I've got breakfast out of wine, anything else that needs doing, uh, cleaning and stuff, then I always try to put three or four hours aside to really get some good writing in. Um, I mean, you can stretch it to the afternoon, depends on what football matches are, <laughs> to be honest. 
Um, but tomorrow is 12 o'clock kickoff for the Saints game, so I'll probably just be able to get two, two and a half hours in. Um, and then I'll probably do some more in the evening after the football's finished. Okay. Uh, in, in, well, in the summer months, obviously, when there's no football, then usually I can fit in a whole day on a Sunday and any other spare time in the evenings after work. All right. Do you have, I mean, is there a favorite place that you like to write? Is you have a home office or you go to a coffee shop or anything? Or what, where's your, where's so, your um, favorite writing place? Yeah. I call it my office. It's actually my spare bedroom. But, <laughs> um, yeah, that's where I tend to write because I, I don't like any distractions. If I, if I have the laptop on my knee in the front room, the telly on, I find I get too distracted. Okay. So I have to shut them away, really. So is writer's block a real thing? Uh, I think so, yeah, especially with fiction. I find non-fiction a lot easier. Okay. So if you do hit a stumbling block, there's always more research to be done. But with with fiction, it's you can hit a real block in the story. How do you advance from this position? How do you develop these characters? And it it can it can really stump you, to be honest. Yeah. And sometimes you just got to leave it for a few days and come back to it. Do Do you have a favorite book that you have written in the past? Um, probably, well, not including To Be a Saint, um, I think my previous book, Dark Window, a collection of seven short stories, um, quite, quite good, if I do say so myself, (laughs) (laughs) um, I've sort of based, based the stories on the sort of things Stephen King would write, sort of more of a psychological, um, horror rather than gore. Okay. Um. So yeah, I've quite, I really enjoyed writing those stories. I think uh, my mom wasn't very into me reading Stephen King, but I had a, a friend at school who would lend me the books, and I think yeah. I think Misery or Desperation are probably mm. my my two favorites. Yeah, um, yeah, I love Misery. Great book. I remember one time uh, I was much older, and we were over at my mom's house, and it came on the TV, and my mom's like, "Oh, you know, did you you know what this is?" And I was just like, "Yeah, here's the story." You know, here, this is, she's like, "Where did you do that?" I was like, "Well, you know, I read it." And she just goes like, "When?" And it was this whole thing. I mean, twenty five years old, thirty years old, still getting you know, disparaging looks from my mom, but it's okay. But now uh, you've kind of moved in to write to be a saint, and I've read a few football books, and and we'll talk about it. Uh, I haven't finished it. I'm about a third of the way through it, but I'm really, really enjoying it so far. Um, but where can people get a, get a copy of it if they are interested? Uh, yes, on Amazon. Um, also, Barnes and Noble have it on their website. I'm still waiting for Waterstones in the UK to pick it up, which I was hoping for before Christmas, but it's looking like it's going to be the new year now. Um, but yeah, Amazon would be probably the best place to pick it up. It's available in paperback and Kindle editions. I guess we should explain what it is. Uh, I don't think we've done that yet. Um, so. Briefly, I guess, what is the idea behind To Be a Saint? Well, I read Fever Pitch when it first came out in the early 90s and absolutely loved it. And I was just disappointed there wasn't one written by a Saints fan. And I always sort of told myself at the time that in a few years' time, I'd write my own version. So I started making notes when I went to football matches, especially if anything interesting happened. And uh, it was out of the ordinary. Um, which, especially away games, does tend to happen. Um, there's a few stories in, in the book about me getting lost in various cities. So, yeah, I decided to just to make notes and eventually start putting pen to paper on them. How, how long before you, you started to write 
were you collecting uh, kind of the notes for for the book? Um, I think I started making notes around about 1995. Um, I had a, started writing them up probably 2000, and then I've probably been working on the book probably a good 10, 15 years because I've kept getting to a certain point and then sort of putting it to one side, and then a few more seasons would pass, and then I was playing catch up again. Okay. So this time I thought, well, it's it's coming up. To, it's thirty years since I first started going to physically going to football matches. So twenty seventeen is a good time to uh, once you get the book out. Yeah, and you your kind of football journey with Saints started, and slight spoiler alert, I guess, with uh, the FA Cup parade, right? Yeah, I, I was three years old when we won the FA Cup. My parents took me to see the open top bus tour around the city that players did the following day, but I didn't actually, I don't actually remember any of it because I was too young. Right. That's always been, it's always bugged me. The only trophy we've ever won, and I was there but missed it. So <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, yes, I can vaguely remember us losing the 79 League Cup final. Um, and then of course I had to wait a long time for us to get to another FA Cup final. And I missed that as well. So. What about last year? Did you, make, did you happen to make it to the, to the, uh, League yeah, Cup final? Yeah, I did, I did manage to get to the League Cup final. Yeah. Um, it was a good day out despite the result. Um, the best team lost. Yeah. Um, but we could hold our heads up high. I think it was one of the better League Cup finals of recent years. I think. Yeah. And, and up until that point, it was really one of our better performances uh, yeah. of the year. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, there was no way we deserved to be two goals down. That scandalous, disallowed goal at the beginning, um, it was just, that was a shocking decision. Um, but yeah, we showed real resilience to come back into that, and we should have gone on the money, really. Yeah. You mentioned Fever Pitch, and that is a book that I have read and and thoroughly enjoyed uh, given to me by my by my arsenal friend uh to read uh, i think with the hope that i would choose arsenal yeah. um but was there any other books that you read that kind of influenced you and in, in kind of the style of the book or, or where uh, you you tend to um, begin each chapter with the date the name of uh, of the two teams that were playing the score and stuff like that but and also the league that we were in at the time but it, yeah. that the chapters don't necessarily just cover that match. It's it's part of it, and you kind of weave in and out of of the story in a, yeah. in a way that I find kind of pretty fascinating. But can you kind of explain uh, what inspired you to kind of do that? Uh, yeah, there was, uh, there was another book I read by a Manchester City fan called Lows, Highs, and Balty Pies. Manchester City ruins my diet by Steve Mingle. That's that layout's pretty much what I based mine on. Um, he talks about the match, but he also talks about stuff going on in his personal life and other things that were happening in the football at the time. Along with Fever Pitch, I thought that was probably the best way to go. Because I did, I did toy with the idea of writing season by season, but it just didn't seem to work. So I thought it's better to have individual matches and then sort of veer off into other bits and then come back again. Well, I think sometimes that if you were to try to break off just a whole season, you miss you miss part of yeah. the story, you know, there is so yeah. much that's going on within the season, um, runs yeah. of form and, and things like that, that I, I think you would, you would miss part of it, but obviously you couldn't go through and write about all 38 matches or 40 matches or 45 matches, whatever we played each year. Uh, there's no way that you could, 
you could you could do all yeah. of that um and yeah. have anything that that would wind up kind of being readable i think yeah i mean my first draft was over 400 pages um so i had to, I had to trim a hell of a lot off to get it down so i think it's the 342 that's in the book uh-huh. so yeah uh, once i get writing on the saints there's no stopping me as we look through the book and like i, I think i said i'm about a third of the way through it or so um, and, and it's really interesting to me because being a fan from the United States, I, I know football didn't start in 1992. For me, it started kind yeah. of, you know, much, much later even yeah. because with the the TV rights and things like that and it being broadcast and NBC doing a, a kind of a making a big deal about getting people to watch the matches uh, along yeah. with my son kind of pushing to to want to play soccer and for me to want to learn about it and all that stuff. There's so much that I, that I miss because my my kind of vision of Southampton coming into it has been the latest relegation, the the coming up through that, and then to see that back in the eighties, back in and even in portions of the nineties, that we were uh, both on in the relegation zone, but still going deep into cup competitions and things like that, and, and in some instances finding ourselves pretty high on the table. Um, with all that kind of being said, is there any kind of season to you? That that really stands out as as being more memorable than some of the others. Um, I think the eighty nine ninety season. Uh, we scored a lot of goals that season. We we had a manager at the time, Chris Nicholl, who seemed to play a four two four formation at times. And we had a young Matt Letizia. We had Rodney Wallace, Danny Wallace, Paul Rydell, a young Alan Shearer. So we had this massive array of attacking talent. But we could also ship a lot of goals at the same time. So there was a lot of high-scoring games that season. I think we finished sixth. Uh, it was a really good season. Lots of fast attacking in twin football most of the matches. For you, is that the type of, of football that you would expect Southampton to play now as well? I wouldn't say I'd expect them to play like that. There's a lot more has changed than back then. There's a lot more money at stake. The teams are more afraid to lose. I do expect to be entertained and I know a lot of Saints fans are saying the same at the moment with the lack of goals at the moment um, I think I'll speak for most Saints fans when we when I say we only really expect two things and that's entertainment on the pitch and accountability in the boardroom and earlier this season we weren't really getting either um, and a lot of people were getting down about it but you know the managers paid to get results and that means sticking 11 men behind the ball and the way match then that's what needs to be done but I think we need to be more attacking home games definitely that's what people pay for yeah and, and our, our run of of not scoring in matches at home especially was mm. a huge problem last year it, it I think largely yeah. contributed to the unhappiness with with Puel and his eventual dismissal yeah. but, but Pellegrino you know I think he's he might be slightly more aware of that, I think, coming into it. I, yeah. um, uh, we're speaking ahead of the Arsenal match, but you know, seeing how we played against City uh, when we played, mm. we sat deep and, and played with three center backs and things like that. I'm not sure he's going to be willing to do that tomorrow, but we'll have to we'll have to see. Because on one hand, maybe that's the way yeah. you you beat Arsenal, uh, but on the other hand, yeah. you know that maybe that's that's that is too defensive and people will be upset if we don't score. But you know, looking back at the last couple of years with the managers moving on, players moving on, us kind of maybe hiring an unknown and uh, kind of maybe kind of dipping a little bit. 
kind of, have you seen this before? Has this, is this all kind of cyclical? Does it all come in waves? Yeah, I think, I think so. Cause I mean, we sold Alan Shearer uh, for a, a British record fee at the time when they, they came back when, when Blackburn Rovers came up to the Premier League. Um, we sold Rodney Wallace to Leeds. Tim Fenners went to Blackburn. Um, it's just one of those things we just tend to, we've got such a good youth system that we produce these great players, but for some reason we just can't seem to get them all in the same team at the same time. Um, I mean, you look at the players we've sold the last few seasons, we had them in the starting lineup now, it'd probably be top four, you know, Mane and Bellana, to name but two. Um, great attacking players, which we haven't really replaced, if I'm honest. The same quality and speed. Um, the season we had under Ronald Koeman and we beat Thunder the Neil and finished top eight. You know, it was a great season. It reminded me of the 89-90 season, just goals everywhere. And um, the last couple of seasons haven't been like that. So really need to try and maybe next couple of seasons try and get back on track try and score more goals, get some players who know where the back of the net is. Yeah. For you, would Charlie Austin be, be the striker of your choice or would you prefer um, Shane Long or Gabby Dini or would you prefer to, you know, maybe bring somebody else in? Um, I like Gabby Dini, but he's a certain player. He needs someone to feed off him. Um, I think Austin and Gabby Dini up front together would be a good combination. Uh, the way we're playing one up front at the moment, I don't think it's really working, to be honest. But I would probably sign another striker in January. I definitely think we need somebody else. Like you said, they are, they are very different, and I'm not sure that Gabby Dini was get, mm. quite getting the the service. And um, the manager no. kind of mentioned uh, at a, a few press conferences ago that the players they hadn't quite gotten into the into the flow of things, and it seemed yeah. like against Everton, all of a sudden we everybody got it. And, yeah. you know, he yeah. claimed that every, we weren't doing anything differently. Um, I think one big difference was maybe that you didn't have Redmond in front of Bertrand. Um, and I think that I used to think that was a great combination. I thought that those two players had a lot of pace and it would be threatening, but I think we've seen recently that if you just get Redmond out of Bertrand's way, Bertrand is much better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We played a lot better with uh, Redmond using from the team against Everton, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, noon kickoff against Arsenal. Noon kickoffs in general. Uh, do you like them or do you dislike them? Um, don't particularly like them, to be honest. Um, I'm a traditionalist of first Saturday 3 p.m., but unfortunately, that's probably there's going to be even less Saturday 3 o'clock kickoffs in a couple of years' time once a new TV rights deal kicks in. So, we're now going to have Saturday evening games as well. I don't mind Sunday games, but uh, 12 o'clock seems a little bit too early. I think it's all down to, you know, if they spread the games out, they can put more of them on TV and, yeah, you know, and they can sell more subscriptions and everything else. And, yeah. and that's what they, I think that's what people, I think that's what the TV companies want. Yeah. But, you know, uh, I've seen people kind of point out that traveling fans have a hard time with that. Um, I think yeah, tomorrow, you're going to have bus replacements instead of trains going down from London to Southampton. So, I mean, there's all kinds of things to think about. So, uh, you know, it goes, it goes far beyond just, you know, being able to watch on TV or not, you know? Yeah. 
I can say that as a, as a West coast fan, um, I live on the West coast of, Cal- of the United States in California. So, uh, tomorrow's, tomorrow's kickoff is 4am. Um, yeah. and, and that's fine except for it's, it's against Arsenal. So that means that my buddy and I have to watch it together and he just had a baby. <laughs> so I got to go to his house and he lives about 45 minutes away. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be on the road about 3am and I'm just, yeah. <laughs> I'm just not, <laughs> The four a.m.s four a.m. is the morning. Three a.m. to me is still the middle of the night. That's that's the yeah. <laughs> the cutoff. So we'll we'll see how it all goes. But I have a couple of kind of just real quick kind of rapid fire questions, and if you want to go into any detail on them, you can, but you don't have to. Does okay, that, does that sound okay? Um, yeah. Favorite player? All time favorite player is probably Matt Letizia, just for the the entertainment he gave over the years. Um, some fantastic goals, really. I am. I should say. I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to watching him kind of develop through his career in the book because reading you describing one of the goals, it's like I've seen that already. I've seen that highlight a couple of times, and like you know, yeah. it is. It is. Uh, it's nice when you have that picture in your head and you can yeah. kind of imagine the goal. And I think sometimes it's almost more uh, beautiful that yeah. way than if you just watch the uh, uh, replay. Do you have a manager that that sticks out in your head as being a favorite? Um, probably Alan Ball. It was the difference between him and his predecessor, Ian Branford, was just complete opposites. And he was literally to, to the rest of the players one one day at a team meeting. This is Matt Letizia, he's the best player we've got. Make sure you give him the ball as you know as often as you can. And the turnaround in results was amazing. And he kept us up when we were dead certs for relegation. And then the following season. We finished uh, top ten, I think. Um, it was just a shame it all ended so so badly for for him and the club. Uh, acrimonious split to Manchester City, and he left us. Um, but yeah, if he'd have stayed for another couple of seasons, they would have been great. But there you go. Um, favorite goal that you ever saw scored? Um, be a toss up between. The first goal that Matt Letizia scored against Newcastle in that 2-1 win at the Dell when he came back into the team after Ian Branford dropped him. But also, the first Danny Wallace goal of the first game I actually attended against Manchester United when he he dribbled past about five or six United players and smashed it into the top corner. And a really special goal that was. A favourite match? Probably the 6-3 win over Manchester United. And I was a uh, sort of pinch me, wake me up sort of thing. You know, everyone who was there was just totally stunned. Um, you know, it had been beaten 5 0 at Newcastle the week before, and we thought we were in for a back match. But as soon as Roy King got sent off, they, we just steamrolled at them. And even though they pulled a couple of goals back, I think they got it back to 3 2, we just kept on at them, attacking them. And it was just astonishing to see goals four, five, six go in. It was a special day. Um, do you have a uh, an away ground that you favour visiting over some of the others? Um, um probably Craven Cottage. Um, so still really nice old old fashioned grounds, especially from the outside. A lot of identical stadiums being built in this country now. Well, I must say the new Tottenham one looks really special. Um, what, what they've done there with the single uh, tier for the home fans 
going to create most of the noise. But it looks a lot a lot better than some of the new grounds that have been built recently. But I also quite like um, Bolton's ground. Okay. Um, was the Reebok, I'm not sure what it's called now. But it's quite a nice ground too. Yeah, you, you were mentioning the, the kind of identical stadiums. I think uh, Southampton, Leicester, uh, yeah. Stoke, maybe even Sunderland. Um, they're yeah. all kind of the exact same mold. And I remember when somebody yeah. pointed that out to me, it was like, oh, like we bought a track home, you know? <laughs> and, then, and then everybody else around us, you know, had, had some custom ones built. And <laughs> man, nobody yeah. feels stupid, but uh, oh, oh, well. And I think hopefully we're outgrowing it. You know, hopefully we we send the yeah. message that we need we need something else. I think people are calling for that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think we have seven or eight sellouts in a row, stretching from the end of last season to begin of this season, which is quite remarkable considering the lack of goals. Right. Um, so yeah, hopefully we'll uh, expand the stadium, and, or or maybe even move to another one. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, new owners, right? Hopefully, they do uh, yeah. do something. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's a lot that goes yeah. into that, and and who who knows? Um, so we'll see. Can if there's one thing you can pull out, and I realize this is probably a difficult question, but uh, one thing you could pull out the it, that is the biggest difference between watching Saints now and maybe when you kind of first started, or in the '80s, '90s, and maybe even in the early 2000s. What's what's the big? Is there a big difference between us then and now? Yeah, I think despite the the quality of the, uh, the the youth training facilities. I think there's a, a distinct lack of local players coming through. Um, I think James Will Prowse from Portsmouth, I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, back in the 80s, um, early 90s, most of the reserves, youth players coming through from the local area. Now we seem to be getting them from far and wide. And I think it's important to have local lads in the in the team um, as they probably grew up supporting the club um, people like Francis Benali for one and they know what the fans want and how they're going to react and I think they put more effort in than some of the, the foreign imports um, Would you prefer a relegation battle or an anticlimactic mid-table finish? Oh um I should say relegation battle where we, we eventually stay up, but you don't know that at the time, of course. Oh, yeah, probably the relegation battle. I went through quite a few in the 90s, and they were exciting. Quite a few last-day escapes. Um, and it's so much better than just finishing 10th every season. There there was one spot in the book where Southampton started the day, you know, 15th or 16th, but had the opportunity to fall into the relegation battle or relegation places based on how they did, how all the other teams did. And, you know, you're, you're writing of people with their, you know, with their radios going, you know, this team scored, we're good. And then, Oh no, now it's tied. And Oh, this team scored. And now we're, now we're screwed. And then, and you know, uh, so, and I I can just imagine and, and kind of going through that. And I, I did experience a little bit of that the last world cup qualifying cycle when the United States didn't qualify yeah. a, a bunch of things had to go wrong and going into the 90th minute of most of those games or 85th minute of most of those games, it didn't look like it looked like we were going to be fine. And then all of yeah. a sudden it just all kind of melted down. And I think, yeah. you know, all, we're just looking at it, the TV going like, it, it can't be like, I'm looking at it going, I know it is, but it can't be. And then sure enough, uh, you know, we don't, yeah. we're not going to Russia. So, um, yeah. 
when you go to the, the, the matches and things like that, there's always player and manager um, chants or songs. Do you have a, a favorite one either from the past or, or present? Um, and you don't have to sing it if you don't want. Just just tell me who, who, the, yeah. who the thing is. Uh, oh, that's a tough one. Um, I'm not sure. I quite like the, the Gabudini one from when he first signed, and especially that was sung at the League Cup final. Um, the Ooh Gabudini one, where everyone was jumping up and down, twirling their scarves around. Right, right, right. Italian things do. That was that gave me goosebumps. That did. Then that was after we equalised. And I think it lasted for like 10, 15 minutes, just constantly. I mean, I was completely hoarse by the end. Um, but it was such a, just a simple chant, but so effective. Uh, that match I watched in a in a pub. I had to be down for work um, at a school at noon or one or two or whatever. Um, and I think the game started at 8 a.m. here. And so I'm in the pub and I'm trying to be good because I have to do stuff later. And um and there were like, I think seven Southampton fans, six Southampton fans. And mm-hmm. one guy who's from Southampton just happened to be traveling around the United States, happened to be in that area uh, on the day of the oh. match. Wars Jersey came in and, you know, a bunch of the rest of us yeah. showed up. And it was, other than that, it was full of Man United <laughs> fans. But uh, yeah. um, I went to that, <laughs> that first meeting uh, very hoarse and, you know, maybe yeah. a little worse for wear, but it was, it was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, here, here's a tough one. Maybe Portsmouth get relegated or Southampton win the title. Southampton win the title. You're going against uh, the narrative here. It's supposed to be, uh, I'm (laughs) always told that, uh, that English people specifically will, uh, enjoy other people's misery more than their own success. But you've, you've proven that wrong, uh, in this instance, at least. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's low enough down as it is. Let's go easy on them. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. I, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, all right. Uh, you you wrote a little bit about a uh, a referee early on in the book, uh, Roger Milford. Um, yeah. You also mentioned Mark Clattenburg, uh, and he obviously has been in the news lately for some of the comments he made on an NBC uh, mm-hmm. podcast, Men and Blazers. But he made some comments there, and so uh, I, you have three referees: uh, Mark Clattenburg, Mike Dean, and Roger Milford. Uh, you have to go to the pub with one. You have to share a flat with one, and you have to fight one. Which which one are you going? Which? Um, fight Roger Milford definitely. Um, probably drink with Mark Clattenburg and live with um, Mike Dean. Mike Dean, yeah, probably just just for um, process of elimination, really. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a lot of time for three of them, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't believe what I was hearing from Mark Clattenburg about that shocking. The rules are the rules. If he thinks a player should be sent off, then the player should be sent off. It doesn't matter whether he thinks he'll get the blame for them not winning the title. Um, it was that was a shocking admission. That to be honest. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was surprised because uh, Roger Bennett asks some pretty off the wall kind of questions. He's a big. Uh, I don't know if you've ever listened yeah. to him kind of do his podcast, but he kind of does this big kind of overarching kind of uh, lead into each question and usually he tries to pull people in and get them to say stuff. And usually people just don't like people are good at this. They, <laughs> they kind of just, you know, down the middle. Um, yeah. But when, when Clattenburg started saying that stuff, it was just like, Oh, oh, oh. like I was washing dishes yeah. and I was just kind of looking around going like, he's not really doing this. Uh, and my kids were like, what's, what's wrong dad? I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> this guy is uh, trying to end his career or something. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 
All right. And then one final one. Uh, where do you think the Saints will finish uh, this season? Um, I'd like to think top half, but um, I'm probably thinking 12th, 13th. And you think that's a fair, that's fair given how we've been playing lately? I think so, yeah, to be honest. Um, we've got some tough fixtures coming up. We we haven't taken as many points as we should have from the fixtures we've faced so far. Well, before the Manchester City game especially, um, you think we should have taken more from Watford, Burnley, Swansea at home than we did. And now we've got to face Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea in the next few weeks. So it's going to be tough. Yeah, it's it's not a it's not a kind fixture list uh, for no. us coming coming up. But uh, obviously, everybody plays everybody. It, it yeah. is it is fair in that sense. But form form and things like that aren't aren't always the same. And mm. kind of when you have that run of games when you're playing midweek matches and things like that, it's going to be different for us uh, over, over the next yeah. kind of month or so. And I'm actually I'm quite happy as a teacher. I have I have one more week of work and then I'm off. Mm-hmm. I'll be able to to enjoy <laughs> many of the. Uh, many of the midweek fixtures and things like that. So I'm, I am looking forward to that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think, I think you're probably right on it. Like I said, hope they finish top half, but it, no guarantees on that this year. No, no. Once you take away the top six, seven teams, it's a free for all for the rest of the places. Yeah. So Phil, that kind of, that kind of wraps up my questions, but is there anything else that, that you wanted to say, whether it's this season or um, any, any particular part of the, of the book that I, that I, we didn't really talk about that you want to talk about? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I, the only thing I'd say is I, I try to steer clear of putting too much personal stuff into the book because I know Fever Pitch is quite heavy with Nick Hornby's personal life, right? teaching career and, and stuff like that. But um, I know people want to read more about the football than they do about what jobs I've had in the past and stuff like that. So... I only really put personal stuff in if it was if it interfered with the football. Like um, one one time in particular, when I had a, a fiance who was totally anti-football, um, and it sort of got in the way. But um, I won't spoil it. But um, yeah, so and things like my my children being born and stuff like that, milestones in my life more than just you know, well, this is where I worked and this is what I did and right. Right. So well, it's more football than me. It also it's it's the last thirty years from my perspective. And and I think that is that's important to 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 know yeah. that you know this is this is kind of your view of, of of all of that. The book is called To Be a Saint, and it is yeah. out now. It's on Amazon. It is uh, in bookstores in Barnes and Noble, right? Yeah, and hopefully Waterstones soon. And uh, we're going to kind of work together to, to give away a copy. So there will be a yeah. tweet that will have, uh, you know, both the link to this episode and the link to the book and, and our two Twitter handles. Yeah. And if you follow both of us and retweet that, you'll be entered to win a copy and we'll we'll get it out to you soon. So uh, be sure to pay attention kind of for that and uh, uh, good luck. And hopefully uh, I think people will enjoy it. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm looking forward to uh spending some of the afternoon today, uh, finishing, uh, yeah. finishing a, por- a portion of it. But, um, thank you so much for one, for writing the book, Phil, and for, uh, being willing to join me on the podcast. That's okay. Let's enjoy talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. And the same to you. And, and thanks. Mm-hmm.
that was my conversation with Phil Drake, the author of To Be a Saint. If you'd like to pick up a copy of To Be a Saint, you can do so on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com, and it's available in both Kindle and paperback editions. Now, Phil and I outlined a way for you to uh, be eligible to win a copy of the book. All you have to do is retweet the tweet uh, that we put out tomorrow. Uh, And if you do that, uh, you will be entered into the drawing to win a a copy of the book. Uh, You have to be following us both, of course, Uh, but we'll do that uh, starting tomorrow. But for those listeners who would like an additional chance to win, you can do so by following the podcast Instagram account. It's at SFCDELL underscore IVERY same as the Twitter handle, go on over to Instagram, uh, find the post for this episode, like it, tag two friends in the comments, and that will enter you into another chance to win it. Uh, and that will, so you can enter both on Instagram and on Twitter to give you an extra chance, uh, to do that. So, uh, good luck to you. I hope that one of you wins it. I hope one of you who listens to the show wins it, not some random dude who decided to uh, retweet something because it said, you know, giveaway or contest or whatever it is. So, uh, that's my hope for you. Uh, good luck. And um, now I generally watch all of the matches, like I said, at the top of the show with my friend, Josh. Um, he has been my best friend for a long time. We'll talk about all that stuff. But um, this is this is something kind of special. We've never actually done this before. We've never sat down and had a conversation. And I'm not sure uh, if it's the most high level football conversation. We will, were both up at three o'clock. And even before that, um, with the fires and things that are going on around my area, they have been so bad that actually we were off school on Monday because the air quality was so bad. They told us all to stay inside and not go outside uh, and they canceled school and things like that. So I was actually off of work, but um, we got evacuation notices uh, by mistake. They were sent to, to my house, even though they were never meant for people further South from me. Um, so we got an evacuation notice about two o'clock in the morning. Um, so of course we were up and we were trying to do this and trying to do that and get ready and blah, blah, blah. And then because the game started at 4 a.m., uh, I had to leave. So I was up and I left and the game started at four. We watched the game and then we were getting ready to record. We were all set up. We were sat down, we were in the mode. And then all of us children got up, which are great. And it's fantastic. And I love seeing them. But then we went back downstairs and tried to do some recording. And so, um, at this point we were, we were tired and delirious a little bit. And, uh, anyway, but it was a good chance to talk to him and it, it gives me maybe a little bit more insight as to, uh, why, how I got here. And, uh, also, uh, we do talk about the Arsenal and Southampton match a little bit. Um, I asked him some silly questions and, uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And if not, uh, you know, you probably won't have to hear from him for at least a year. So anyway, uh, here's my conversation with, uh, my very best Arsenal friend, Josh. I'd like to welcome you to the podcast, Josh. Thank you. Thank you. Um, People outside of this room, which we're the only two in it, uh, are not going to know who you are, and that's okay, because uh, you've been my best friend for I don't know, since kindergarten. Yeah, yeah, we've gone to school since kindergarten. Yeah, um, and uh, I'll be honest, when we were setting this up, I was much happier to do this until like the eighty fifth minute, and then uh, of course Drew uh, kind of ruined it. It's a I beautiful, was, beautiful I was, French forehead. I was a meaty French forehead. I was looking forward to this, uh, mostly to rub it in, and maybe that's why it's it's bad karma and everything else. But um, mostly, I just wanted to bring you on and and talk to you, just because we have this um, this thing that we do. And I should say that your wife has been very gracious in allowing us to sit here and do this, as all three of your children are, are upstairs and she's smiling still. So, to, uh, to be honest, this is our our second our second go at it. All the children woke up. 
at the same time. Yeah, so it's okay. But really, the thing about this is I just wanted to kind of bring you on. And, and I'm, I'm at your house, obviously. Uh, the Today's game started 4 a.m. And we do this thing where normally, if Southampton's at home, you would have come to my house. And it was much easier when you lived down the street. Yeah, um, agreed. But you decided to move uh, 30 minutes Ish. Yeah, I think I think you probably thirty five with no traffic. Sure. Um, I got here faster today because I was I was running slightly late. But um, anyway, so it, it's kind of a thing, and I wouldn't even be watching this game if it wasn't for for you. You're welcome. Uh, just immense disappointment and heartache. <laughs> um, not just because we lost today, but because all of it is is, is that way. Um, but but how did you become an Arsenal fan? So. My Premier League, I've been a fan of the Premier League. I think this is my fifth season, so I don't have a, a storied history of of ancestry. It hasn't been passed down. Um, but one of my good friends who I went to college with uh, around the time that kind of the height of uh, the last uh, U.S. World Cup, I, I started getting more interested in soccer. And he told me, well, you know, you should be an Arsenal fan. He gave me about, he gave me, it was kind of a forced choice. He said, you know, start watching the Premier League. Here's Fever Pitch. Um, here's another book. And try to try to focus on Arsenal if you can. And I loved the history. I loved the story of the Invincibles. Um, they were exciting. And yet, also, they weren't perennial favorites. They weren't a Manchester United. And I've all, I'm always kind of, I like an underdog. And so that, that really drew me to them. And it has been ups and downs for the past uh, couple seasons but really can't complain no i don't think you can arsenal the underdog that's a yeah no that's a story of well the underdog story yes. yeah <laughs> yeah not 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 on the southampton podcast right sorry. no 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 your uh, audience sorry it's okay uh so when compared to united <laughs> yeah yeah it, it's it, i get it i get it um but when you know i started getting into this it was partially because of of you had it not been for you i would have not probably watch the Premier League. I would have attempted to watch MLS. Um, so I think you would have went for the Bundesliga, personally. Possibly, but um, you know, because Jack, my son, obviously wanted to play soccer, and you know, the people you know that story. People know that story. But um, I'm, I'm blaming you specifically for for the Premier League. And I remember coming to your house, your other house, mm. um, and you know what I'm going to talk about. I do. Um, and and to have. You know, just to watch, and I was there to watch Arsenal that day. I was there to support you and, and Arsenal. It was a time that we could get together, and then I just watched the way that Southampton defended, and I watched the way that they kind of did everything. And then I, I don't know, like at that point, it was pretty clear that I wasn't going to choose Arsenal. But did you think like I was a locked in Arsenal fan at at some point? Did you? Were you there worried? was a there was a time where I was, you know, I was courting you, I, just just like my my buddy had courted me, and you know, there was the appeal of a another fan that was local that you could you could share the highs and the lows with at all times. Um, I, I thought I had you and you know, I, I did the same thing, gave you fever pitch. Uh, I can't remember the title of the other book I gave you, but bloody confused, uh, bloody confused. And that one actually, I, I, I like it personally better than uh, fever pitch. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought, thought you were there, but then I knew you were, you were flirting with Liverpool, you're flirting with Southampton, but you really kept your options open. But not only is my kind of love of, of, Southampton somewhat your fault and I should say that if I had a, had a chosen Arsenal I could have worn a jersey around town that people wouldn't have looked at me and gone like what team is that and where do they play um, yeah they would have just known assume um, you were supporting uh Chivas right yeah yeah they, they that's what they say so um but in addition to that this podcast is, is mostly your fault too 
um, you made me download and listen to the Arscast for that's the that's my longest running consistently listened to podcast, and it's not even about a team that I give any semblance amazing. of a crap about. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, but anyway, and then and then your encouragement to do this was was there as well, um, and so uh, I think everybody hates you for that or really likes you. I don't know either way. Um, and anyway, you've provided me encouragement and things like that, uh, the whole way through, but, um, kind of looking at, at the game, we'll talk about the the game just briefly today. We don't have a a ton of time, but, uh, looking back at last season, um, obviously we got rid of our manager. You kept Wenger again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yet again. But, you know, looking back at last season, which, which team would you say had the, the more disappointing season, your failure to get into the top four? Uh, and, and then our failure to kind of improve on our, our results from recently. I think, uh, I mean, and this is coming from an Arsenal perspective, obviously. Um, I think that dropping out of the Champions League and into the Europa League after so many seasons of, you know, guaranteed top four spot, I think that was definitely the bigger depo- disappointment. And then, you know, you guys didn't, you know, you didn't meet those expectations or continue those expectations of keeping momentum going. And so at least you guys got a new manager. Whereas, you know, even though despite, you know, there was a lot of hope from from some Arsenal fans, the myself included, that dropping out of the Champions League and dropping that form would result in, in that. But then we won the FA Cup, which I am not even remotely complaining about. Uh, but that, and then all next day, arson two more two more years yeah and and i guess we can say that i think people from the outside would look at both of our situations maybe and just say like what are you complaining about you guys got a a major trophy you know we made it to a cup final um and and people from the outside kind of look and say like you know both of you guys are doing okay but i think being people who watch the, the 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 fans who watch the team week in week out pick up on different things than people who only tune into the highlights and things like that um, and and right. so there's kind of a different narrative there, but moving into, into this season, um, you know, and moving into this match today is what we're going to talk about briefly. Um, what were your expectations coming in, going down to, uh, to Southampton, to St. Mary's playing a team where you tend to struggle, um, but also realizing that we're not maybe in the same form that we have been in recent, ma- recent history. Well, I think that anytime we go to St. Mary's, especially in the last couple of years, we've had some major issues. And so coming into the match today, I can't say that I was confident even, I mean, especially given last week's result at Manchester United and just dropping those early goals. Um, and then just how we, how we've been away. I mean, we've lost to Stoke away. We've the away is not where we have won our points. I'm sorry. I was trying to trying to do the thing that people do and that they look at their phone while talking and it doesn't make for good ta- content. So, I mean, we have five, five losses right now, and I think most of those ones are away. And so that's that I was, I was concerned. I was concerned that we weren't going to be able to get three points. When the lineup came out and you saw kind of the options that they went with, uh, you probably weren't surprised. Uh, Alexis, Lacazette, and Ozil all up front. Um, right. Maybe you're back three with Murderzacker playing there. Maybe that's a, a concern, but with uh, Mustafi being ruled out, it's probably what you would expect. Uh, I was, I was really, especially after how, how much attack we had against Manchester United and how we played with four at the back. And then midweek in our, uh, Europa League 
contest we played with four in the back and so i fully expected us to go four in the back and uh, play three midfielders uh, when charlie austin uh, scored three minutes into the match um i was elated uh i tried not to celebrate too much because one we were in your house and two everybody was asleep that's I probably hope, getting picked I, up yeah i hope the i hope that got picked up by the microphone um crying baby alert um so so charlie austin scores in the third minute and from that point on, I was kind of hoping we were going to hang on. I was also hoping that we weren't going to just sit back and allow you to to, to apply pressure. But uh, I think that's kind of what we did. But how how confident were you that you guys were going to be able to to get a point back at any point, especially going into halftime, still not being able to kind of maybe create that that clear chance? Um, I mean, it's kind of our narrative of the season. We we drop in, or I don't I don't know how often we've done it this season, but the minute it happened or the second it happened, it was just that feeling of, Oh, here we go again. I mean, we got Murtisacker and Kashelny at the back. And, um, as like I, like I was saying, when I saw that team sheet with Murtisacker, that was my concern is that, you know, he hasn't had a whole lot of playing time and, uh, dropping, you know, that, that point, but, you know, given Lacazette, Alexis and Ozil up front, you know, those guys can pretty much make a goal appear out of nowhere at any time. So at, at in the first half, I wasn't wasn't too confident. Um, after at, at halftime, especially you know around the 60th minute, but then when we started bringing on just full firepower and we were maintaining so much possession, there was just it just seemed kind of inevitable that we were gonna we we're gonna luck out and you know and we did. Yeah, um, Alexander lack a threat today. He did nothing for you really. Um, and I think for the most part, we did a good job of containing and, and kind of limiting the chances. And I thought, yeah. I thought Southampton played pretty well. Um, maybe slightly more of a defensive setup than you would expect at home. Maybe the fans at home, but uh, we got the goal early. So that kind of, I think gets the fans on your side. And then we did create chances. And I think the, the possibility to put that game away and out of reach early on um, was missed by us. I think it, it should have been three or four nil, maybe, maybe, maybe two nil if I'm not being uh, overly, uh, critical or optimistic or whatever you want to call it. But um, I definitely think we should have made it uh, slightly more difficult for you. But I can say that going into today, I probably wasn't expecting a win. Right. I would have taken a draw at the beginning, but to to watch the way that we played and to have the lead for so long and to have this happen twice against, you know, the, the big teams in, in the past three or four matches is uh, it's, it's gut wrenching. feels like you got, you got kicked in the balls again. Um, but that's it's kind of what happens. Yeah. I, I I agree with I agree with that in terms of you know you guys had so many chances in those first ten minutes and then I I believe it was Romeo that hit off the bar and uh, there were just there were multiple opportunities but Arsenal didn't have as many opportunities I think you guys did a a pretty good job of keeping the ball in front of you and um, especially like you said about uh, Lacazette I think Van Dyke Van Dyke handled him pretty pretty handily. Yeah, uh, I think uh, Van Dyke, Yoshida, and I think uh, Stevens all, all played well today. Uh, a little shocked to see Stevens in, in the lineup over over Wesley Hoyt, but or uh, Hoot, whatever his name is. Um, but, but that's the way it goes. But kind of moving forward, are you are you okay with this result, or are you disappointed, or how do you feel about it? Uh, if you would have asked me before the match about disappointment with a, a draw, absolutely. Uh, asked me in the eighty seventh minute. Uh, better a point to stay ahead of Spurs and Burnley um, than than a loss. So, in the end, 
uh, a point is a point. Would have much rather had three, but uh, we didn't deserve three. Not even sure we deserved one. I mean, there's there's loads of stuff we could talk about during the game, but we just don't have uh, that sort of time. We told your wife ten minutes. We're already at the uh, fifteen minute mark or I think, so. I think we're good. I think we're I think we're all right. Um, Some, sounds like most kids are held together up top. <laughs> They're still. We can hear them above us. There's more cohesiveness up top than your attack today. Um, it's uh, <laughs> better manager. Better, better manager upstairs, without a doubt. Might be true. Um, I'm trying to think of some some of the highlights of the game. I think that our us scoring early and then forcing you to kind of come on to us, which I think you were going to do anyway, and allowing us to play on the counterattack, I think it really suited us. I think Redmond did a good job running at you, uh, creating some some chances for Austin. Uh, Austin got caught offside a couple of times mm-hmm. today, which is, you know, maybe maybe it's because we were playing on the counterattack and he's not the speediest. But, uh, you know, I think, I, like I said, I think we did a really good job creating chances. I think... Our midfield did a really good job. Uh, Hoiberg, I think, yeah. uh, kind of, I think we outnumbered you in the midfield. Jaka was put under a, a ton of pressure. Much just Jaka in the midfield. That's generally what we do. And then Ramsey sometimes is in the midfield, most of the time in the attacking third. And, and Ramsey seemed to pick up an injury, which is not at all surprising. And I have a, a question here for you, uh, a prediction question. For the rest of the season, um, who do you think misses more games through injury is unavailable, uh, from more games through injury? Uh, would it be Charlie Austin who has a history of being injured uh, quite frequently, Aaron Ramsey or Jack Wilshire? Ooh, that's a, that's a pretty good question. Cause Jack gets injured every single season. Ramsey generally is going to pick up an injury and then come back. He's already been injured once this season. Uh, I believe, I think so. Or am I just, I just, my brain, my brain not working on this one. Um, I don't know Charlie Austin's injury history well enough to be able to um, throw between those three, but uh, between Jack Wilshire and Aaron Ramsey, given that Ramsey got injured, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to actually, I'm going to stick with Wilshire because just the way he plays and how he heals slash doesn't heal. um, I, I think I'm going to, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed because Ramsey is much more integral to our team as well. Yeah, Wilshire seemed to put himself about uh, a little bit today um, when he came on for Xhaka. You guys went all attack at the end. It was yeah. Arsenal emptied the uh, the gun safe, I think, and 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 went for it. And to be to be fair to you guys, it, it paid off. Uh, wasn't happy right. about it, but it, it's what happens. You guys have some some issues uh, situations. You're coming have a lot of players coming to the end of their contracts at the end of the year. Right. Um, there's talk of of Alexis hanging on till till the summer and, and leaving on a free uh, or possibly either him or Ozo moving on in the January transfer window, which is approaching. And so uh, another kind of question, who's most likely to to leave this January, Alexis, Virgil van Dyke, or Mesut Ozil? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I, I really can't see Wenger letting Alexis or Ozil go anywhere. And so, but then again, you guys, you guys kept Van Dyke despite some really constant pressure from Liverpool and um, other clubs uh, during the summer. Uh, I, I personally don't see any of the three going. Um, but you know, if there was anybody that I think, I don't know, between players that want to get out the most, I think, I think it's between Alexis and Van Dyke for sure. I think. Ozil seems like I, I really I'm hoping that we're going to be able to re-sign him. Um, I I count Alexis as a loss, and uh, I'm not sure what you guys what your plan with Van Dyke is. If you guys are going to 
hold on to him or try to try to cash in this summer um, now that you guys have a new manager. Um, just not not really sure where. Uh, can't so I to to answer the question. Uh, none of them. <laughs> you think they'll all be there? I do. Okay. Well, I mean, Van Dyke is the the best defender we have if he's got his heart in it. Right. Um, I mean, physically he's gifted. You saw what he did to the Lacazette. He basically nullified him for large portions of the game. Yeah. And Lacazette has been, um, he's been really fun to watch this season as somebody that is clinical. And I think he had one possible chance, um, during the game and, um, that it just kind of skied over. And I, I can't remember who, who clipped him with their right. Was it Hoiberg? No, it was Yoshida. Yoshida. Okay. Came sliding across and took him out with the trailer. Took him out. Yeah. That, I mean, that was really the only opportunity he had and he's the way he runs and his movement. He's so intelligent. And so he was just completely nullified, which was very frustrating to see that. Yeah. Well, not for me. I enjoyed (laughs) watching our defenders. And I mean, really if they're doing their job, then they're probably not going to get mentioned a whole lot if everybody's kind of working together. And, but they did when, when they were called upon to, to stop chances or, or, or put blocks in or run people off the ball or do whatever they did it well. So I, I think, I think Southampton played well. And uh, if you would have asked me 85 minutes in, I would have said we probably deserve to get all three points. Um, but sometimes when you defend that deep, you run the risk of allowing a team like Arsenal, somebody like Alexis to create a chance. And that's right. essentially what happened. But you know, looking looking at the table, looking towards the future, I am going to England. Um, right? Yeah. Uh, Let remind me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to. Um, we had planned to go uh, in mm-hmm. a few years, and yep. then you decided to have more children. Uh, maybe that was already the plan, and I just wasn't made aware, which is totally fine because I am not your wife, and so you don't have to make babies with me. Um, thank God. I will not. Uh, Hey, whatever. Um, but uh, are you are you maybe a little bit upset that there's a chance I could go to the Emirates before you? It's not even a chance. There's a there's a guarantee you're going to the Emirates before me, unless I was somehow to score some tickets and a flight from someone um, abroad, um, some benefactor, someone that some listener maybe um, that wanted to just you know make your what not going to happen no um is there jealousy yeah (laughs) yeah no 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 one is um which i am available if that is the case um no um i'm am i jealous uh yeah of course i would i would love to i'd love to see arsenal play at the emirates despite what people say about the emirates i still want to go there and uh see him see see the team play in front of the home fans i got to see them in California, in San Jose, which, or excuse me, in Los Angeles, which was cool, but n- nowhere near what uh, the experience I expect you're going to have um, over, you're going during January or during spring break, I can't remember. Uh, Easter time. So okay. it's uh, at Southampton is playing away at Arsenal uh, the week after Easter. Right. Uh, and there is a chance that I will not get to go if Sky Sports or BT or somebody decides to put that on TV and they move the game to Sunday. Oh. Okay. Uh, if you guys are still involved in the Champions League, there's a chance that happens and that would that would Europa. ruin that. Oh yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rub it in. Sure. Yeah, made you say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we wish we were there. So right. I mean, that, that's just the difference in and in, in where where we're at. But right. Um. But yeah. But anyway, I, this is mostly just to to have a chance to talk to you about this because we talk about it on the phone a lot. We get to sit and, and watch the matches, but we haven't. Uh, maybe basically had to have a conversation and meet and say, you know, thanks for pushing me into this and also yeah. screw you for pushing me into this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the 
watching you celebrate that last minute goal today. It was like very quietly, very quietly. Only, but, only because the kids were asleep, but yeah, but with lots of energy. Yes, vigor and passion. Um, but anyway, thanks for for that and for being my friend for twenty five years. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank thanks for having me. Um, I I I hoped secretly that I would get to be a guest at one point. I'm sure this will probably be my last time no, based on the no, uh, based on the output. But uh, yeah, I. I, I wish your team well in the in the coming weeks. I know you got some some pretty big matchups coming up, and um, we can do you some favors, and you can do some for us too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I'll be happy to return them. Yeah, and, and best as best we can. All right, I'll talk to you next time. All right, thanks, man. Later. And that was my conversation with my very best Arsenal friend Josh. And uh, special thanks to him for putting up with me for all of these years. Uh, through everything that I have put him through, it, it's been a great time. Um, mostly for me, um, probably hectic for him, but uh, whatever, he's been there. And uh, a special thanks to him for actually introducing me to uh, the Premier League. Um, my son who wanted to play soccer, uh, me who wants to learn about soccer to help my son, um, probably would not would not have gone to the Premier League, first thing. Uh, but he kind of forced my hand that way, and uh, it's been it's been a fantastic ride. Um, ever since then. So, uh, thanks to him. I hope you enjoyed that. If not, don't, like I said, don't worry. You won't hear from him again for a while. Um, you know, unless we, uh, pick up Arsenal in a cup competition or something like that. Additionally, special thanks to Phil Drake, author of To Be a Saint, for joining me to talk about his book and his journey and, uh, his writing. Uh, I really do appreciate his time and, uh, his willingness to come on and talk about it. And like I said, you can find a copy of To Be a Saint on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Um, and you can also find him on Twitter at pdrakeofficial. And like I said, the links to his Twitter and his website and his Facebook account are all in the show notes below. So be sure to check them out and give him a follow. If you'd like to enter for your chance to win a free copy of the book, be sure to check out the pinned tweet on my page anytime after 2 p.m. UK time on Tuesday. For an additional chance to win, head on over to the podcast Instagram page and like the post for this episode and tag two friends. And that will give you another opportunity to win a copy of the book. Like I said before, it it is a fantastic read. I'm about a third of the way through it, and I am really, really enjoying it uh, very much, and I think that you will too. It would make a fantastic Christmas gift for any Saints fan in your family, young, old, new, longtime lover of the, of the club, whatever it is, uh, they will enjoy it uh, for one reason or another, because I think it really does a good job of embodying what it's like to be a Saint, to be uh, someone who follows the club like this. Um, and uh, like Phil said, if, if you read Fever Pitch, that that is kind of an iconic book, I think, for uh, some of us, it really does a good job of explaining what it's like to be a football fan. And I think this is this is our version of that. So uh, I don't know if that's that's not officially en- endorsed by Phil, but that is kind of what I'm getting as I'm reading through it. And that's kind of where I'm putting myself, the mind frame I'm putting myself in as I'm reading it. So um, once again, thank you to everyone for listening. I hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, If you did, consider leaving a review. Additionally, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you get your podcast to be sure that you do not miss the next episode. Between now and the next time you will hear from me, we will both host Claude Puel and his return with Leicester City and go away to face Antonio Conte's Chelsea. Hopefully we come out of there with some points, but they will both be tough matches. But I think if we go into it as we've been playing the last few matches, uh, we should walk away with some points. So uh, 
Until then, I wish you all of the best and I'd like to remind you to check out the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. For match day edits, polls, competitions, and more, be sure to check out the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. Matt, who runs the page, has been a huge help to this show. He designed the logo. He's been a guest. I couldn't do this without him. Head on over to the We Are Southampton page. Check it out. You will not be disappointed. And with all that being said, I think it wraps it up for this week. So until next time, remember that together, we march on. Hi, I'm my name's Daniel. How old are you, Daniel? Four. Well, um, who's your favorite soccer team? Arsenal. What do you what do we say about Arsenal? Go Gunners. Indoctrinate you early. Okay, you wanna say bye? Bye.